Welcome back to the Bond Revisited podcast. You are listening to part two of episode 23, where we revisit and rank Skyfall. With them clearing Bond for active duty, he first makes a stop at the National Gallery to meet a very different quartermaster. Join us as we take a look and eventually add Skyfall to our rankings. So Bond has been set to go see Quartermaster, so we see him head into the National Gallery at Trafalgar Square. More London, seeing a lot of London in this film. And he goes inside and we see him sitting on a bench in front of a a painting. Just so happens to be a painting by one of my favourite artists, which is uh, Turner, J.W. Turner. Mm. Um, Yeah, and he's there looking at it, kind of waiting for someone and this man comes and sits down next to him. This very young, uh, bushy-haired man comes and sits down and sees that Bond is looking at his painting and starts to um, start to discuss what he what he sees in this. And it's basically uh, this painting of a, a grand old warship. He says being like unceremoniously hauled away for scrap. And he says, "What what do you see, Bond?" Uh, to which Bond says, "A bloody big ship." <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, there's lots of themes there in terms of a, a old boat being hauled away for scrap. But um, Bond takes his cue to go, uh, his cue, uh, to leave at that point or starts to leave. And the man next to him says 007. And yeah, this is the new quartermaster, uh, the new Q, played by Ben Whishaw, a much younger Q. And upon seeing this, Bond just, I guess this is a, a callback to Goldfinger where he says, you must be joking. And the two start to then sort of have this little back and forth um, about the ages, the respective ages and things like that. And like you've got spots, Bond says, and stuff like that. And Q says that kind of defending his age, that he would be able to do more damage on his laptop in his pajamas compared to what Bond could do in the field a whole year. Um, and that the only Bond is only needed to really pull a trigger when a gun needs to be shot. Uh, to which Bond says, or oh, or not be shot. Tricky to know that in your pyjamas. And that was sort of them, you know, getting their guard down a little bit. They shake hands and they properly address each other. You, 007. And then we actually get the uh, the reason for this meeting. So Bond gets his uh, tickets to Shanghai, a passport, and he gets a small black box as well. And he opens it and inside is a, a Walther PPK. And Q is saying that it's got a, a sensor in the grip, so only he can fire it, which is something we've seen before. Uh, not a crazy gadget by any means, uh, but it's you know, mapped to his palm. And also there's this little empty spot, which Bond asks about, and that is for a a radio, just a radio transmitter, just a little distress signal, tiny little square metal thing. And upon seeing that, Bond says a gun and a radio, not exactly Christmas. And we get Q saying, <laughs> we get Q saying, what were you expecting? An exploding pen? We don't really go in for that anymore, which is obviously a very big callback to some of the more uh, ludicrous gadgets, little wackier gadgets that we've seen from the old Q from Desmond Llewellyn. And this Q then goes to leave. And just before he does, um, he does have one last little line saying, basically, please return the equipment in one piece. So, yeah, that is the new Q and a nice little introduction to him and his relationship with Bond here. 
Mm, yeah, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. Uh, so I guess overall, I'll, I'll start with, I really appreciate that they just went in a very different direction with the new queue. Like, the mistake they kind of made with John Cleese, uh, one was probably hiring John Cleese, but the second one was that mm. they just had this famous actor just try and imitate Desmond, which was just never going to work. So this time they've just gone in a completely different direction. And I think that was a really smart way to go. Like, don't try and copy Desmond. Instead, try and do something a little bit different with someone a bit younger and kind of reestablish that relationship between Q and Bond. Like, if you're going to do a reboot, like, now's the time to do it. So I think that's really good. I will say with uh, Ben Winshaw playing the character, I do kind of just hear Paddington Bear (laughs) during the scene. (laughs) Just close your eyes and you get the marmalade sandwiches out. Yeah, like he doesn't quite, like he does do Paddington different to this, but I saw this first and then Paddington came out. I'm like, oh, that's Q playing Paddington. That's (laughs) oddly delightful. Didn't expect that. Yeah. Um, But I think... Yeah, so I think that stuff's really good. I think that approach is really smart. Mix it up and do something different. And that that was a good approach. And But yeah, I think the dialogue's a little bit hit and miss here. Like, some of this makes me laugh because this is mostly, like, a fun scene. Like, which is what Q scenes usually are. Like, it's more on humour and they're back and forth and bouncing off each other. It's not supposed to be serious. It's not pure comedy. But there's clearly a lot of humorous dialogue in there. And some of it makes me laugh. Like when Bond, as you said, Bond's like, a gun and a radio. It's not exactly Christmas, is it? Uh, That made me laugh. Uh, But the stuff where he's all like, uh, I don't know, like Bond's like, you must be joking because you've still got spots. That feels a little bit like boomer humor to me, like a little bit too like generational divide stuff. Like, oh, the young versus the old, the different generations. Oh, you're young, you're old, you're past it. Oh, like that sort of nonsense. That stuff just doesn't make me laugh. Um, so that's stuff I don't really like. But even so, I like the new cue and some of this stuff does make me laugh. And I do enjoy it overall. It's just some of the stuff I just feel is a little bit off. And I think they just, yeah, go too all in on the young versus old stuff. And sometimes it just doesn't work. I like the old versus new stuff. And as you say, it's the most logical thing for them to do, to do something different. Um, I think this, what you're saying, and I would agree with, is that just some of the dialogue in this film is just not great. I've already mentioned some of the dialogue with Eve I'm not a big fan of. Um, and you're right, some of it here isn't great. I do like how they have a switch of the roles, kind of, though, where Bond, uh, sorry, Q is like the slightly cockier one to begin with, quite big-headed and... and Bond is the grumpier one, um, but then they kind of dress each other down a bit and, and then start to respect each other a bit more, even after such a, a quick meeting. What I don't like, and I, I've been going back and forth on this um, since I've watched it, is how much I like the whole thing of exploding pens. We don't really go in for that anymore. And it's something that I'm going to say a couple times in this film where they 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 bring back these tropes and they are bringing back Bond, but they're kind of, I think we might have said this in a previous podcast, but they kind of want to do it, but also point out that it's bad. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. look at these silly things we used to do. And I just don't really think it works. I think, especially with this new Q character, it just seems so forced to have him say, oh, bring it back in one piece, uh, one piece, please, Bond. It, it's just so unnecessary to me, I think. I mean, I get... I have to remember that this is like the 50th anniversary and they're going to have these little nods and winks 
not to the same extent as Die Another Day, thank God, but um, they are going to have these things. And, and maybe when I saw this in 2012 and it was the Bond anniversary, I was like, yeah, just hit the line. It's like the old cue. Maybe I would have liked it then, but we're 10 years later now, over 10 years later, and I think actually they aren't necessary. I kind of think this cue could have just stood on his own ground without having those those callbacks, personally. I like the line well enough, and I think it's because if they were going all in on those references, they would have had him saying, I'll pay attention, 007, and I would have been really upset if they did that. So it's yeah. almost like getting in one of those cue lines, but not getting in the main iconic ones. So for me, it kind of felt like a good compromise because, yeah, he cannot pull off and I'll pay attention to 007. He's just too sweet. Um, but, yeah, I agree about the exploding pen line. It's like, that's golden eye, dude. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Don't touch that. Yeah, yeah. I have a little bit of bloody respect. You're young. Oh, God. I think I'm the same age as what this character is. <laughs> that's oh, where no. we're at. I don't know how that's happened. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I don't know why they went exploding pen. There's probably more ludicrous stuff. And yeah, I agree. They they probably should have just left that alone. I like the idea of like, let's reintroduce gadgets, but kind of strip it back to such basic stuff and then integrate that into the film. I think that's quite a fun idea. So I kind of do like how the gadgets are handled in this film with reintroducing them. But yeah, I could have done without the exploding pen line and the, we don't go in for that anymore. It's like... You, you didn't need to, yeah, like as you said, you didn't need to take that extra step. Just no. strip it back and have that be that. Don't be like, remember the exploding pen? Remember the two? Like, we, we don't need to do that. It's fine. So with Q meeting up with Bond, uh, Q has given Bond his tickets to Shanghai. So we cut to aerial shots of Shanghai at night. And usually with Bond films, you get like one shot, right? Like you get the one shot here's this place and then like the text would come on screen and then you just cut to like bond arriving somewhere but we actually get a lot of different shots here and it's showing all these different areas of shanghai all these cars and all these like it's a lot of skyscrapers and then it's like a lot of highways and cars and it's a lot of shots and panning all over which i massively appreciate i've said like in a few episodes that whenever they kind of take the time to do this establishing shots and just give you a really good sense of the place and frame it really well like i liked with you only live twice i really appreciate that and i'll, I'll say this now about shanghai this place just looks incredible yeah <laughs> i love really these shots of shanghai at night it just looks so beautiful <laughs> it's uh some of the best shots in the film it looks kind of i mean any we later see uh that it's it's um wet as well it's been raining so you get all those reflections in the puddles and it's very kind of cyberpunky and i just think that such and the way that these these things are filmed in this film in particular so beautifully uh uh, not choreographed um composed that yeah it just really is such a, a lovely sight to see all these big stunning lit up buildings yeah, like how much you're into this is going to depend to, as you say, the cyberpunk aesthetic and just cities at night. But I've always thought cities at night and especially someone who's like a filmmaker who can capture that in a really kind of striking way is oh, I love seeing that stuff. So these mm. are like this looks amazing. Um, so I appreciate them taking that effort. So we go to like the bottom of a skyscraper and well, like the camera kind of zooms to the top of the bo- uh, to the top of a very specific skyscraper. Sorry. Um, and we see that there's a pool on top. 
So we then cut inside and we see a man swimming in the pool and then we cut to, well, it was Bond who was swimming and he's sitting outside the pool and he's like breathing quite heavily. So still a little bit out of shape, but he's clearly like working his way back into shape. Uh, and then we again cut inside, inside like a, I put rich man's bar because it's just like a very fancy like city bar in one of these skyscrapers. Mm. And he's sitting at the bar looking very dapper, very fly. And he has a message on his phone. He checks it and it's got a flight number and a time on it. So it's just a quick shot of him looking down and then him looking up. And then we cut again and he is at the airport at arrivals. So we have a big group of people waiting at arrivals and a load of people like coming off planes. And we see Patrice in the crowd. And then we cut Bond in his best disguise yet. I think. Yeah, yeah. He's wearing like a driver's cap and sunglasses, and that's it. I think Q's disguise in Fury's Only was better with the beard. Come on I now. think so, yeah. I didn't notice that, but yeah. And it's also funny because Bond is still like not shaven yet. He still looks yeah. quite gruff. So it's just like the most half hearted, unimpressed <laughs> he has ever looked. Just like, yeah, I found this hat and sunglasses, whatever. This would do. Yeah, I don't buy that. I think Patrice probably would have spotted him. But hey, you know, the film's got to move on. I think it. I do buy it enough just because he is lost in a crowd and stuff. And Patrice probably doesn't really remember Bond all that well because it was just a job. Because three months have passed. I don't think we said that. But actually, they do specifically say that it's been three months since the opening sequence that this then all starts off again. Which, as someone who complained about the time stuff with Quantum of Solace and stuff. Thank you very much. Thank you for just saying it has been this amount of time. Very yeah. kind. Uh, I also like to think that Bond like killed a driver to get this disguise. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> Followed someone into the toilet, did his old trick, came out with the sunglasses and hat, just so he could do this. <laughs> Any means necessary, yeah. Exactly. Well, all he had was a radio and a gun. What was he meant to do? I guess go down to the local uh, fancy dress shop. I don't know. <laughs> oh, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe as a clown. I don't know. Wrong, oh, wrong film. Mm. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's move on now. <laughs> Whenever the clown comes up, we got to go. That's enough. Uh, yeah. So we cut to seeing the cars driving down a road. So like Patrice is in a taxi and being driven and we have Bond behind him or somewhere behind him tailing. And we get more aerial shots of the highways, which is again, looks amazing. Just so many lights. Similar shots to before, but it looks awesome. And we then cut to a shot of the camera on the ground looking up at a skyscraper. So it's kind of like if you were standing in front of a skyscraper and looking up, the camera's kind of pointing that way. And then it like slowly pans down. And as it reaches ground level, the taxi that Patrice was in, and he gets out. And it doesn't really serve any purpose, but I just love the, the little style choice there just to make it feel a little bit different. That was cool. Yeah, they do. There's another shot coming up later as well where they just really, they really want to impose that height, that sense of height here. And yeah, because there. you're about to go up to the top of the skyscraper. Yeah, right? So I guess exactly. they need to sell that as much as they can. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Patrice gets out and he goes into the building and Bond arrives and parks up and he watches him. And we see Bond get his gun out, the one that the PPK, that Q gave him. And he holds it in his hand and the lights, there's like three lights on the top of the handle. Those goes green, which means he can fire it because it's uh, tied to his palm. And he smiles to himself. And then we see Patrice shooting the guard at the entrance of the building. And then we kind of cut back to Bond watching and looking serious. And that always makes me chuckle a little bit because they cut to Bond smiling to himself. 
to then Patrice killing someone and then back to Bond, but now he's all serious face because he saw Patrice <laughs> kill a man. It's like he got a little bit lost in his thoughts. Oh, this gun's really cool. Oh, wait, hang on. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. I'm on a job. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, he's been away from the game for a little bit. He got distracted. Yeah. He has to get his head back into this sort of stuff. Exactly. So Patrice walks off, walks further into the building. Bond just enters and follows. And we see him kind of going up some stairs, holding his gun. That's Bond. And Bond finds another dead guard. So he kind of follows or goes round to where he is. And we see in the distance Patrice getting into a lift to head to the top of the building. And Bond is watching him get into the lift. And as soon as the lift starts going up, Bond sprints and he leaps and he grabs onto the bottom of the lift. So Patrice is in this lift going up and Bond is hanging onto the bottom on this pole. So we get some like panning shots showing it go up and we see Bond getting very sweaty as he's holding on because he's struggling a bit and Patrice is like loading up his gun and we then see Bond like his right arm slips because that's the one that it got shot. So he then like re-grabs it at the bottom underneath the lift and is like still hanging on but kind of struggling but eventually the lift does get to the top, Patrice gets out, and then Bond climbs up to follow. Um, so he like forces the lift door opens and, and walks off. So yeah, this is kind of that idea that we already kind of saw about his shoulder, like he's still not quite right. And yeah. he's kind of like physically struggling to do this, which is completely understandable. That looks extremely difficult. I think most people would struggle yeah. to hang on like that. But I could do that. Could you? Yeah. Oh, I'll give it a go. Well, you've never... <laughs> He's tried to do it and only barely done it. You've never failed at doing it. Exactly. I, so far, I'm all good. I've never failed so far. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, thank you. Thank I've you. done it like six times. I always fall off. Oh, yeah. That's why you just don't do it. It's embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this was always like... And I think this scene makes more sense when you think of it as he's injured and trying to get back into the game rather than he's too old. I mean, we've already talked about the old angle already in this episode, but I think it's worth reinforcing because I think when you first watch this scene, you're just like, oh, he's just an old man hanging on, but he still manages to do it. But I don't think that's what you're meant to take from this here is he is injured, getting back into things, something he would normally do, he's now struggling, but he's still able to get it done. It doesn't help that the beard does make him look a lot older as well. Yes, for sure. Uh, so yes, yeah, so... Bond climbs up and kind of walks onto this floor. So it's like this office floor, but everything's like empty. Um, but it's all like lit one color. So it's all lit blue and Bond enters and he's just slowly walking through. And then we, we kind of hear like this piano music start coming in. And the floor kind of, yeah, it's lit one color, but it kind of keeps changing. And we see Patrice setting up his gear on the opposite side of the floor. But the way it's set up is that all the lights are off inside the building and then there's like a ton of glass with a load of that kind of reflecting like it's kind of split up by these panels of glass and because there's no light inside it means all the lights outside in the city are being reflected in so you kind of at some point see a large jellyfish on the screen so everything inside is being lit up by that but because there's so many glass panels in the way it's like all being reflected somewhat as well and there's like a lot of shadows so what this scene is, is Patrice is setting up his stuff by the window and Bond is like slowly walking through trying to get to him uh, without him noticing. Uh, so Bond walks through one of the doors and then stops. We see Patrice has like a device which is like 
saws a hole open in the window so he sets that up and then he goes to like set up his weapon he has some sort of sniper rifle and we see across the way in the opposite building from this one there's like a woman setting up a table there's like an apartment and a man gets let into the apartment and there's some quite fancy looking woman kind of setting things up so bond keeps walking quite slowly and patrice then pops a glass circle so where he was using that laser device he then pops that out and we hear a load of the wind because we're quite high up so a lot of wind sound comes through and we see across the way in the apartment like an elderly man enters Uh, and then he sits down on a chair like in front of a painting that's been covered and patrice sets up his gun and aims it the painting is then revealed and patrice shoots and shoots the man in the head and he dies and patrice then at that moment sees bond in the reflection of one of the glass so he spins and he shoots at bond so bond charges out patrice and they start fighting and then we kind of cut to a single shot where it's like a little bit further back and it stays on this for a while where it's those two like where it's them fighting hand to hand and both figures are kind of blacked out so they're fighting next to each other because i think patrice might have shot out the window entirely or it's about to be shot out during this anyway so they're kind of fighting in front of the window back and forwards you can't really see fully what's happening because you're at a distance and they're both blacked out but we see that one of the figures get flipped out the window and one of them is carrying the other one so the camera slowly pans forward and then kind of goes over and it reveals that bond is holding patrice out the window and bond shouts who has the list who are you working for offers patrice i guess he didn't hear uh, it's very windy. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what? <laughs> <laughs> Say that again? Ah. <laughs> uh, so Patrice is starting to slip because Bond is holding him with his right arm, his dodgy arm. So Patrice kind of slips and then he just falls, and we see him bounce off the building a little bit and just disappear. And Bond slaps the the side because he's a bit annoyed. But he looks up and he sees the woman in the apartment looking at him, and they both look at each other. And Bond is sitting there, but then the lights in Bond's place like fade, so it kind of goes dark. And then when it comes back, Bond has disappeared. So we cut to Bond looking through Patrice's things, his equipment, and he finds like an old dragon coin or a chip of some sort. And then he takes a look at the writing on the rim, which says something about I want to say Dragon Casino. It's something like that. So hmm. yeah, like I feel like this is like potentially the most iconic almost like at least for me anyway the most like memorable standout scene in the entire film like i remember when i first watched this in the cinema it was such a awesome experience because this is shot in a very stylish way like extremely stylish it's very style over substance where it's bond like they've set this all up to all be lit in a specific way and to go through these colors and be lit by the city and the music starts off with this piano thing and then it kind of like is building quite slowly up and up but it's not like any type of music that we've seen before in a bond film it's like doesn't really even sound like it comes from a bond film but i kind of mean that as a compliment and it's just like a very like visual and audio experience that they're trying to convey here and it's just it's so awesome that they like put in the effort to make what is ultimately quite simple idea really it's just bond versus some bad guy we see this in like half the bond films that he has to go over some like 
two-bit goon to get some information, but they just, Sam Mendes and the team just put the effort to make this something more stylish, something more different, something more bold, something more memorable. And this is when in the cinema, I was like, this film's amazing. Like, this is when I really was like, oh, okay, this is, this is awesome. Like, this is when it all clicked for me the first time seeing it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really have much to say about it being like, why it's good, because I think the reason why it's good is just what you're seeing on on the screen. There's, like, there's honestly not much more to it. It just looks great. Uh, just if you're, It looks great anyway, but if you're a fan of this aesthetic, it's extra good. Blade Runner vibes from this, the, the big jellyfish, like the adverts in the background, and as you say, causing all those reflections and everything, and the, the, the blue contrast of the black silhouettes and... It's honestly, it just looks nice on the eyes. And like the fight is really nothing major. It's it's kind of just a, yeah, it's a very stylized fight and it's over quite quickly, but you just go with it because it looks great. I mean, I don't, the whole stuff of the art thing, I don't really think is important to be honest with you because I can't actually think about where that really leads to per se. But um, yeah, just seeing it on screen is more than enough. As you say, they, this is a very typical thing for a Bond film but they've really just dressed it up and and that's that works yeah it's just yeah you just get lost in it and i think this is a really interesting thing though where we talked about originally in the bond films it was all about these like one-on-one fights but almost like how amateur and basic they were was almost like part of what made them work it was just like right throw sean connor in a room throw a big guy in a room we'll have them slap around a bit and that's like there's like this raw enjoyment to some of that and then they like got away from that and it became like more movie star bond where he's just like a few punches and stuff and then he's knocked out and it just it stopped having any weight behind it. And I think now this has almost like evolved that idea where it's like, okay, we're not going to try and do this really physical proper fight. Like we're not going to do like a John Wick style one-on-one fight here where it's quite bloody and gritty and raw and in your face. Instead, we're kind of going to evolve it to be more stylish and more memorable that way. And I massively appreciate that. This is not about the fight between these two men. This is about the atmosphere. This is about Bond approaching it. This is about like setting Shanghai and this setting and just having you kind of get lost in it a bit. And I think that's awesome. So it's kind Mm. of like, if you're going to do something like this, either have a really good one-on-one fight, really interesting set piece, or you can do what this is, which is just go for style points make it something slow, make it something interesting. Because again, most of this is just Bond walking forward and Patrice doing a job. So it's like, I'm glad they've found this kind of new angle in terms of making something like this interesting because something like Bond is never going to, again, be on the same level as something like The Raid. And I don't think it really kind of needs to try, like needs to try to do that. So instead they do this approach and it's extremely successful. And I think Sam Mendes knew exactly what he wants to do with this scene and just pulls it off really well. Yeah, and I guess they're also limited by the the type of films that Bond films are, where they can't get gory or they can't do they can't be too violent, really. Like there is there is a line that they are definitely um, they have to adhere to um, age rating wise. So, like you say, you're never going to get these really over the top or, or not necessarily gory, but just like going all in with the fight and the action. So that's why I then do it this way. Because then you don't need to have all these really intense things. You can have it from a little bit further back and you just appreciate the fight visually like that way. So, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, and it's like the reason to see this film in the cinema if you can. (laughs) If anyone ever gets that chance, 
this is a real treat in the cinema. Mm. So we cut to an aerial shot of London at night. Can't remember if it's raining. I guess I would guess that it is, but I don't remember. If it's not raining, it's at least very grey, I have to imagine. <laughs> it's mist, a little bit of a mist yeah. outside. It's it's go, it's about to rain. Yeah. Um, so we go into M's house, and she's at her desk on a on a laptop, and she's looking at the image that she got sent before, which was the like the British flag, the Union Jack, and then her in the middle with the crown of MI6 on her. She's looking at that image, and she's actually comparing where that image came from which is from her Hong Kong days because it comes from an image of her uh, next to someone who we assume is Chinese. I'm not too sure. So yeah, another little drop there that the thing that Tana said before about her days from Hong Kong, that's correct because that's where this image came from. So on her screen, it then pops up with like a roulette wheel and it says, click here to reveal your prize. Like it's very much like a fake ad, like one of those annoying ads you can get, but like something's very off about it. And she then does click to reveal her prize, the head of MI6, everybody. (laughs) Terrible, terrible practice there. Did no one teach her how to use the internet? No, like she needs some IT training for sure. She does. Yeah, so she does just click it and straight away it sends her to a YouTube video. But like actually a YouTube video, like she actually goes to YouTube. Yeah. Uh, And then... It's like it's a video showing the details on five undercover agents. So it has the images of them before and them undercover, and it just says who they are. And she calls Tanner straight away, and the video ends saying new names every week. Like, comment, and subscribe. (laughs) (laughs) I had to do that joke. (laughs) Silver just wants to get up there. He wants to become an influencer. All right. He saw Mr. Beast, and he was like, "Why not me?" I can do that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, yeah, he calls... Yeah, she calls Tano because she's worried. And, yeah, so we now know that whoever has this is going to reveal every week new a uh, new names. I think it might say, think on your sins again, uh, in line with the other one. So we then go back to Shanghai. And we see Bond is in a very, like... He's in a hotel, but it's like a very traditional Asian hotel. Like, it has that aesthetic... Uh, but it's also like quite fancy and clearly somewhere that's very expensive to to go to. And he's just about to shave, finally. And somebody knocks on the door and he gets his gun out and approaches it because it's, he's like, who would be here? And someone says room service, of which Bond smiles and opens the door. And it's Eve, the MI6 agent who shot Bond that one time. And Bond kind of smiles and is like, I didn't order anything. And she says, well, I've got some new information. And she's like, it's all part of the learning curve. Because I think Bond might say something about, like, why did they send you? And she's like, it's all part of the learning curve. And Q is afraid of flying. And for Bond <laughs> mutters, well, of course he is. <laughs> I like that. That's a, that's a good little detail there. Yeah. Again, it's leaning to the old versus new stuff again. But yeah, quite funny. I mean, I'm pretty sure he gets over that because Q has to fly in the next films, but right. it's a funny line. Uh, so, Eve explains that whoever has the list has decrypted it and has started posting names online, and it's part of some sort of sadistic game. So, Bond goes to shave, so he goes back to what he was doing, and she's all like, oh, a cutthroat razor, it's very traditional, which Bond says, sometimes I like to do things the old-fashioned way, and... 
then kind of looks at her and just hands her the razor. She says something about like, oh, are you putting uh, your life in my hands again? And we cut to Bond sitting in a chair and Eve shaving Bond using this cutthroat razor. So Bond starts saying about, well, M has briefed me on the list. I already know all this, so why are you actually here? And Bond says that you're spying for Mallory. Because we did hear that earlier. I think we covered it. I'm not too sure about how Eve is actually working for Mallory. So when she took a desk job or stopped working in the field, she actually was to assist Mallory. Um, So she actually works for him. So Bond says, oh, Mallory's a bureaucrat. And Eve's like, well, you should do your homework because Mallory was actually a lieutenant colonel in the Northern Ireland and was captured by the IRA. But Bond kind of like interrupts her and finishes her sentence saying that Bond kind of knows all this. And then Bond just goes for a blouse. Uh, yeah. Takes this opportunity to, to have a go. <laughs> and she's just like, keep still uh, because this is the tricky part. And pushes his head back and then kind of shaves underneath his chin by his neck and then finishes off by saying now that's all better you look the part now bond's like well what part's that she replies old dog new tricks so yeah all pretty decent stuff i'm assuming that i don't know how you feel about the dialogue this time around uh i think the dialogue i mean you're just saying it there kind of does remind me of just how much they are hammering the the old new i mean it's it's like i get that they want to put that as a as a thematic element but it's like wow they do say traditional old-fashioned way old dog new tricks and this is just in one scene and like there's so many other scenes that say that sort of stuff maybe they do push it a bit a bit too hard but no i think dialogue wise i don't i really want to like this actress who plays eve naomi harris i really want to like her more because i feel like she is very good But the dialogue that she's given and the way that she delivers it in this scene, which is obviously it's a very sexualized scene. They're very close together as she's shaving his neck. And as you say, he goes for a blouse at one point. Um, It just comes across the way she speaks comes across more like childlike to me than actually equal people like matched people. And that just kind of like loses it for me completely because I just don't get any of that chemistry between the two i think late like in the next scene it it works a bit better um in this scene i didn't love it to be honest with you i'm not surprised by that i'm kind of on the fence with it i do think their like relationship and back and forth because it's all just quips like it is very superficial i think that's kind of fun in its own way and yeah i think it's fine like i don't think it's terrible I don't think it's all that great. I guess it's nice that we are seeing Eve and Bond bounce off each other quite a bit in this film. That's probably quite smart. So, yeah, I, I don't really have any real passion about this scene. Uh, either fair. way. Uh, I think it's interesting about the Mallory stuff, though. Bond calling Mallory a, like a bureaucrat and Eve's like, well, no. But Bond's all like, well, I know that already. So it's like, okay, well, I, I don't quite know what the point of that was. I guess it's nice yeah, that we're getting right. some background of mallory but then isn't bond just a liar like, what's, that just what's makes bond about? look stupid because well you know the answer then yeah why are you saying that stuff yeah but it's more background of mallory which is nice so it, it yeah. makes bond look a bit silly but it's nice that we know that so it it fits in with something that happens later and it's all about building mallory's character which we find out is quite important to do uh, so i like that bit as well 
wait a minute, there's a character that's saying something that looks stupid for information for the audience. Where's Tanner? Tanner should have... This is Tanner's role. (laughs) This is Tanner's tanner's territory here (laughs) he should have poked around the window and be like but actually i thought he was in northern ireland (laughs) oh tanner oh tanner go away (laughs) (laughs) why are you here i I do like that idea that like because you know eve has been sent here to spy for mannery but if m wanted to do that would have just sent like tanner yeah and then we just get tanner shaving bond in the hotel room (laughs) This is the tricky part. <laughs> Old dog. And then <laughs> new digs. <laughs> and Bond goes to unbutton his shirt. <laughs> no. No, that would then line up with what we get later on in the film as well. There you go. It all works. Yeah, should have it been Tanner. Works. Come on, guys. <laughs> oh, oh, that's good. Okay. Um, God, where were we? All right, so after... The shaving scene. Actually, I think that scene was in Macau, by the way, not Shanghai. I think it had already gone to Macau by this point. Oh, really? Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um, we get Bond because uh, he'd found that that casino chip from Patrice's little briefcase. So we see Bond heading to a casino and you get these opening shots of this where he is, it's nighttime, he's all tucked up, he's looking the part, he looks great, he's now clean shaven, he looks like Bond, the Bond we know. And he is on this boat uh, that's putting into this casino that's kind of in the middle of the, the water. And, I mean, the, this is more of those shots that I think are, are very I- iconic to this film. I mean, a lot of people would visualise this when they think of Skyfall because it's just, honestly, you th- th- there's lanterns on the water. He's going through, on this boat, he's going through these giant lit-up dragons, which is where the dragons come in from the pre the title sequence. There's fireworks going on in the background. It's so warm and orange and it's 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 almost too pretty you know what i mean it almost looks too not like it's just such an overload of rich lush visuals and it's yeah it's, it just looks great like bond pulling up standing there going through these dragons is honestly i think this definitely solidified that this is like the best looking bond film by far yeah and it, it is pure look how good this looks yeah, um, it is. It I is. think there is some like symbolism going on here about how this is kind of, I've said before about how I think this film is about Bond coming back and being reborn. And we just had, here he has now shaved and now he's heading to a casino in a full tux and he's like standing quite proudly. And it mm. almost feels like this is kind of symbolizing him returning fully. And now this is Bond because he is in the full tux because he does look the part. And he is standing on this bridge, which kind of signifies, you know, uh, symbolizes like a journey and going through mouse, I think, like helps symbolize that as well. Uh, But it's like all in on that kind of idea. And it's purely about look how good this looks. But yeah, I think it somewhat symbolizes Bond is actually coming back and they don't say it. They just show it. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree with all that. Yeah. And we get the remix of Skyfall as well. I think this oh. is the first time we hear the Skyfall being added into the score. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh. I'm surprised you missed it. It's really like, distinctive. No, I, I heard it here, but I would. I thought it would have been earlier on as well. Oh, I, I see. Oh, I can't think okay. where it would have been. I, this is the first time I wrote it down anyway. See? The Bond theme only plays when Bond is back. Not the, not Sorry, not the Bond theme. The film theme plays. There's more to it there. I like this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, anyway, uh, Bond heads into the casino. Um, nice casino. I'm going to say it's nice casino. It's just the same 
same as it is on the inside to be honest lots of nice land like warm colors lanterns very inviting um and it's all very very fancy obviously he walks in uh, it starts off he walks over like before you actually get to the casino area with all the tables he walks over this bridge uh, this small bridge inside and it's over the top of uh, a pit and we see what's in the pit it's a komodo dragon is down there um not a great looking one similar to what i said about the scorpion but it's there i mean uh, maybe that's unfair maybe it, it looks fine but i just as i say once i notice the cgi stuff it just gets to me but there is a, a komodo dragon down there which will come back later on i think it looks fine but as we say with the scorpion it's just blatantly cgi so if you're just like cgi then yeah not great but animal like i said before like animals in films are just cgi so for me i don't mind it but yeah you look at it and you're like yep that's cgi that's not real i guess yeah the 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 alternative is that they have these actual animals on set that probably aren't i mean i'm sure that like laws have got better in terms of animal treatment and it's not like the older bond films where sharks are actually getting shot but i think it's just for them it's just so much easier just to stick a cgi thing in there rather than i don't know a real thing or like the the snake in Moonraker for, or the anaconda in Moonraker where you can, they try and do like a rubber one or whatever that was and it also just looks terrible. Yeah, so I think fine. that looks way worse. Maybe yeah. they should have done it like the old Godzilla films where it's just like a man in a costume. <laughs> 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 just a little Godzilla down there stomping around. That would have been cool. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we see Bond, it goes over the, the this little bridge on this pit and um, this whole shot now is kind of, we're, we're, we're behind Bond as he's walking through this casino and it kind of turns into this very long one take shot sort of thing uh because we start to hear uh he starts to talk and he's actually talking to eve through an earpiece and as she responds he you see in front of him that she's also there she's kind of leaning up against a pillar so she's involved in this um this part of the mission alongside bond um and i like how when she's talking back to him bond says don't touch your ear so he you know he knows how important that is uh carter yeah, um, and he says about uh, there's there's these exits and there's these blind spots which she's unsure about, and Eve says she's got that covered. Um, so you know she's she's putting her weight in this situation, and there's a little bit more back and bit of banter between them as they they're walking. So yeah, you see Bond still walking through, still the shot, and as he's talking, you see Eve walk in the background as well. Um, and they're talking about whether they like to gamble and they both scrub up quite nicely. And I like how at one point you hear Eve is on the earpiece and then she's actually walking past Bond. So you hear her actual voice and then it goes back to earpiece. It's just nice little, nice little, oh yeah, there she is. And off she goes again. Um, and anyway, Bond walks up to, and you, you know, you see the whole casino by doing this, this shot as well, which is quite nice. Yeah. That, and, that shot really is like low key, really impressive. Because yeah. normally with the single shots, I feel like most of the time when people do it, it's more just to kind of technically show off. Like, oh, we did this all in one shot. But I feel like this is actually really, really purposeful. Like, you get to follow Bond around walking around a casino, which is cool in itself. You get to see Eve walking around and you see her moving in the background, but not always in focus and sometimes in focus. It just gives you a, a really unique and awesome perspective in terms of, like, two agents scoping out a place and yeah. pretending they don't know each other while also talking. It's, like, it's one of the more, like, but like purposeful single shots I've ever seen. <laughs> and it's for such a small nothing part of the film at the end of the day it's just uh it just really helps the film and elevates it a lot yeah 
Bond walks up to the kind of chip desk, the casino desk. The chip desk? You've been to casinos. You know about the chip desk. I think I've been to a casino once in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, and he he gives the the woman behind the desk the, the chip from Patrice which gets a bit of a reaction from her. She's, she sees it and, and looks and, and there's like a sort of moment there. And she says, oh, just one moment. Um, and as she goes away, Bond looks around uh, and up on kind of balcony stairway section, he sees uh, a woman at the back of a woman at first uh, smoking and she turns around and it's the same woman that he saw in the skyscraper on the opposite side, the the one that was involved with the the assassination and the art stuff. So... He clocks her and, and she clocks him. Um, and after that, some men have come to give Bond his winnings from this chip, which is a, a briefcase uh, full of money. I think it's like four million euros, he says later on. Uh, so absolutely stacked. And also um, a few extra chips from the house as well. So with those, he uh, goes towards one of the tables and starts to play. And this is where... The woman from the stairs, she comes over and uh, they kind of start to talk to each other and they're kind of teasing about what happened in Shanghai. Not outright kind of saying it, but just kind of vaguely about, oh, you know, you Bond got in the way and uh, kind of, I can't remember what they say now, but like like twist, no, not twist. What do they say? I can't remember. But um, yeah, after that Bond... I think they then like properly introduce each other and she says, what's your name? Bond, James Bond. And her name is Severine. And now that Bond is loaded for all this money, she's like, why don't you buy me a drink? And we can talk there. So it's at this point where Bond mentions, oh, will your friends be joining us? Because he's spotted that actually there's all these men that are associated to her, bodyguards. Uh, at first, maybe he thinks that have been watching him as she's been talking to him. And I, I think I can't remember what she says here, but like that is unavoidable. Maybe she says or something like that. Yeah, like that. Yeah, it's something like that. Like they yeah. have to come. So they walk to the bar, and Bond walks past Eve, and says something, and, and drops his earpiece in to her drink. So he's done talking to Eve at this point. Into this glass of champagne, and they head to the bar, and you see a bartender making a perfect martini for Bond. He's just watching her. He pours it out. It does look very nice. And he says, perfect. Um, Boo. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't say shaken, not stirred, at least, but it was being shaken. I just uh, like, I, I just want to say, though, because a recurring thing for me with these Craig films is that actually I get a little bit more annoyed than I used to about them being like, tee hee hee, it's like the old thing, but we changed it. Uh, and I don't find it as cute anymore. And I kind of get that here. But the thing that kind of annoys me about this is that when he's like talking to Severine, he says, I'm, you know, Bond, James Bond. And I'm like, yay, (laughs) he just did the thing. That's Mm. really cool. They put that in there. And then just like 30 seconds later, they then do another Bond trope or Bond staple, but they just change it. It's just like, if you were going to do Bond, James Bond, why not just do the shaken, not stirred? Like... I don't hate it all that much, really. And I think the first time I saw this film, I thought that was quite fun. But it's like, why do one and not the other? Why do Bond, James Bond, but not Shaken, not Stirred? I don't get why some are okay and some are not okay. I I feel that line is just extremely arbitrary. And it's just like, if you're going to do one, just do the other. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, you're right. Um, I didn't even like by this point, even the Bond James Bond thing doesn't really get me anymore, though, to be honest. Like, I don't know, maybe it's just because we've seen so many of these. But yeah, um, so he sat at the bar with Severine and she she asks him about death, a question about death uh, and kind of probes him about, I assume that you killed Patrice. And she says, yes. And then she asks why, which... Bond, I don't think, really answers. He instead he he asks, or he kind of puts it back on her about why well, he wants to. Well, he's sorry. He says, "I want to meet your employer." That's yeah, why he did. Yeah, it. yeah. He wants to meet her employer, and this starts to affect Severine. This this lady, uh, she you can tell she's trying to hide some fear because she starts to, her hands start to tremble. She takes a puff of her cigarette and looking very nervous at that that sort of uh, question. Um, she says, be careful what you wish for. And she goes to leave, but Bond grabs her by the wrist, not forcefully, but just, you know, stops her from leaving and, and says, uh, those men, they're not, they're not protecting her. They're controlling her. And we see a tattoo on her wrist, which Bond points out is from the Macau sex trade. And that he is deeming that she was probably there when she was younger, like 12 or 13. And, taken um, by her employer uh, or, the, or her, her employer was a way out of that situation when she was young and maybe she thought she was in love with him at that time and obviously that's kind of not how it ended up but um, she she asks him how much do you know about fear which she says all oh, there is and she again she's still trembling and she's like not like this so it's another one of those things with the Bond villain where it's like oh they're uh, the 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 effect they have around people like they're everywhere sort of thing maybe not they're everywhere in this sort of sense but but like yeah the the power that this person has over her um, in this situation and Bond offers help for her and says that if she takes him to her employer she says well can you kill him uh, yes and will you kill him someone usually dies he says and she thinks about it. Briefly, you tell her, I think she might have another, another puff and she thinks and she goes to leave. And when she does, she says that her bodyguards will try to, to kill Bond. If he survives, she'll be in a boat in, in the harbour nearby and it's leaving in an hour. Um, so, yeah, she then off she goes. And I think for me, this this whole scene is uh, it's obviously giving some details of who is going to be the big villain of this film and setting them up a little bit with the fear that they're instilling on this woman. It's nothing like groundbreaking, really. The thing that I really liked about this scene is not necessarily the dialogue, but just the actress that plays Severine. Something about the way that she speaks, something about the way she is able to have that that fear and that she kind of like nervous laughter she has at some points. And she just does some weird things with her with like the way she says lines and and her face and I think she's really good. She really elevates this character, which is ultimately not a huge character in the film, but to me she makes it really quite a memorable one. Um, Severine, but yeah, that's just me. Yeah, I don't think it's just her. I agree with that, but I think it's also Daniel Craig and Bond is doing. Like I think both of them are just acting really well, and it just makes it a really kind of great scene to go along with this dialogue. The dialogue's pretty solid. As you say, she does a great job, and I think Craig does a good job as well. It's just interesting to see these two people kind of talk 
yes, it's very movie dialogue, you know, it's still quite heavy dialogue and it's all kind of very, huh, how would I describe it? You know, like it's very slick for what they're saying about, like it's yeah. that type of thing, but it's entertaining. Like it's entertaining to see them go back and forth, see how the conversation develops. And I mean, it helps that the setting is great because you've got another scene that looks great and this kind of moody casino in some ways that's like that kind of looks great so yeah this was just really entertaining um outside of that though it's like you know we've got one of these villains so there's kind of generally two ways that you can approach these villains that we've seen it's not the only two ways but you've got the dr no approach and you've got the goldfinger approach so goldfinger approach is you see the villain straight away there's a real connection between Bond and the villain, and that continues throughout the film. So see A Few to a Kill, Moonraker, that sort of thing. And then the Doctor No approach, which is like somebody in the shadows, that like you see his effect on, or their effect in the world, but you don't see them. So you're like building the character by their actions, and but not directly. And that's what we have here. And personally, I'm not a massive fan of that approach, because I think it always comes across as a little corny, like, it never justifies it. It's like what the world is not enough had at the beginning, where it's like, not from him! And then she blows herself up in a bloody hot air balloon. Like, mm. uh, and this is, like, a lot better than that, for sure. But I always think that these type of setups and this sort of approach is a little bit corny. And I'm kind of glad when we get past this phase and we do actually get to see the villain, because, as you say, she acts this well. She puts on a good show, as Bond says, uh, but I don't think this approach works as well as they probably think it does. So that doesn't really ruin the scene or ruin the villain. But yeah, I'm not super into that approach because I think it's extremely difficult to do. Do you? Th- what about? They've kind of done this already in this film, but just not in this way. Like with the whole M stuff, that that is also this. But I think it's it's doing it in a way that's not th- that line. Like oh, not you don't know not like this sort of thing so maybe that's that's what kind of saves it a bit is that it's actually done by the actions rather than just people saying that they're scared and and to be fearful yeah agreed people just like telling bond oh my god i'm afraid (laughs) (laughs) goodness that sounds like a lot yeah you know go ahead and blow up mi6 that that says a bit more really and and control the police as we discussed like that says a bit more than just someone acting fearful yeah, agreed. You don't need somebody spelling that out. If she's afraid, she's afraid. So that works on itself. But again, it doesn't really like no real negative effect here no. overall, I don't think. But I think it's something kind of like I wish they avoided that a little bit more. But it's fine. So once Severine leaves, Bond uh, with his perfect martini gives a little toast to the the men that were watching all of this up on the balcony. And it's that's a nice shot in itself, just as a as a screen grab and looks great and he starts to walk back outside the casino with his briefcase he walks across the the bridge above the komodo dragon and as he does he gets surrounded by these these bodyguards i think there's three of them and yeah they start to kind of edge in closer to him and he kind of you get this thick moment where he sort of looks a bit like oh all right let's do this then um and very quickly takes a lot of them out. He like swings up the briefcase to knock one out and swings it around to knock another one out. And one of the bigger men charges, charges into him um, and they fall over the edge of this bridge into the pit. And you see 
down there because it is quite a lot lower. Um, you see from like the darkness of the edge of this pit where it just kind of goes into rocks, one of the Komodo dragons comes out. Oh no. Uh, and the two of them start to fight. Not the dragon and Bond, but the two. <laughs> yeah, the, the guy is up on, he gives them a, a one two. <laughs> Um, the, the two men start to fight, so Bond is, is yeah, there. And, uh, yeah, this other guy is bigger, so he throws Bond down and, and at this, oh, actually, he picks him up, doesn't he? And, and this is where Bond spots the dragon is coming out and he throws him down to the floor and he, he goes in and grabs his gun from his pocket, the, uh, the palm reading gun. And he has his back to this dragon that's coming out, the Komodo dragon, as he's doing this. And so he points the gun, he tries to shoot it, obviously doesn't work, has the little red lights on it, it's not going to work. Bond is saying, you know, good luck with that. Uh, and as he does that, the guy gets yanked by the leg uh, by the Komodo dragon behind him and just, like, pulled into the darkness. Now, I did know that Komodo dragons were dangerous, but, like, this one does look particularly sinister. They do make it look very evil. <laughs> I don't know if Komodo dragons are even this big, to be honest. Yeah. I'm not sure if they even grow to this size. I don't know either. I guess they just... Yeah, they needed this. But um, yeah, this guy like is clawing as he's getting pulled away by this Komodo dragon. And as that happens, and Bond is like just grimacing looking at it, another one comes out uh, and just doesn't actually necessarily go for Bond. It just runs past him, which gives Bond a chance to hop up, using it as a little stepping um, stone up to the bridge. And he pops his head over the bridge. And oh no, there's a guy still there. Another bodyguard, another henchman with his gun squarely on Bond's head. Uh, but very quickly a foot comes down and, and stamps on the arm and, and knocks the guy out. And it's Eve. Eve is here. She's got Bond's back, just about. And uh, as Bond gets up, she gives him back the briefcase. And he says, no, it's fine. Put it put it all on red. And um, yeah, starts to walk out and then says, circle of life, as he does. And a little bit of the Bond theme plays as well. Like I think mm. the guitar or something. You get that yeah. sound. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about this scene. Um, because uh, Obvious reasons why, the Komodo Dragon stuff. But also, <laughs> well, this isn't actually a reason why I dislike it, but I think it's quite funny. Have you heard of like the stuff to do with the CGI uh, and the gloves in this scene? Nope. Okay, I think it's quite interesting, so I really quickly want to mention it. So if you watch this film again and you, you pause it at any kind of moment in this fight where you can see Bond's hands you'll see that he's got, I don't know, some shots it looks all right. Other shots, his hands look quite chunky. They just look like he's got quite puffy hands. And the reason for that is because... Because he's an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, that, that is also a factor. But also, Daniel Craig, at one point, whilst they weren't shooting, went and bought some nice leather gloves somewhere. And then he came back to shooting and was talking to Sam Mendes, a director, and was like, hey, I think Bond should wear gloves in this scene. I think, you know, it just looks good. And I was like, yeah, go on in. Yeah, you're Bond. Fine. That sounds good. So in this actual scene, when they shot it, Bond is wearing leather gloves. But then in the editing, someone pointed out, well, hang on, if he's meant to have this gun that reads his palm, he, why would he be wearing gloves? <laughs> oh. <laughs> so what they had to do, because it was too far gone in terms of going back and reshooting, they had to CGI hands over the gloves, which is why they just look a little bit off sometimes. Oh. Um, I just love that, though, like... One little shopping trip by Daniel Craig probably led into, like, God knows how much money. <laughs> to, I don't even think that would it. have looked that good. I'm not saying Bond looks bad in gloves, but Bond in the classic suit wearing gloves, I think that actually probably would have looked kind of bad. 
Yeah, I don't know. I just I love that. I just think it's such a funny story. I didn't notice though. Like I was watching no, you... a smaller screen, but I've seen this film many times, and to be honest, never noticed that. So I guess somebody did a good job. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, it does look good. It's only when you know that and then you do actually try and see it, you might spot it. But no, to be fair, it's not like the the, the mustache removal for Superman. It, it it worked. It worked. Yeah. So overall, this casino stuff, I love it. I think, you know, I, I guess I'm not focusing on the Komodo Dragon stuff straight away because I kind of grouped this all as one scene, the casino scene. And, oh, it's such classic Bond, but... And just like with other scenes we see in this film and have already seen it, it's classic Bond. It's a quite standard setup, but it's just Sam is coming in and just giving this real rich sense of style and atmosphere to it. And mm. it's just such a joy to watch and experience this. Like, again, it feels classic, but it's updated. Like, on paper, this is all pretty standard stuff. I guess the argument is, is Komodo Dragons quite standard stuff? Probably no, uh, because... I was thinking about it. It's like, yes, there's a decent amount of animals in Bond. And I remember watching this film thinking like, oh, the reason why they're doing Komodo dragons is because that's a classic Bond trope, that there's some sort of dangerous animal. But now that we've watched them all, I don't think that really is that much of a trope at all. Uh, it, well, it happens. It but happened I wouldn't a say lot. it's an iconic Bond trope that he fights off some animals. <laughs> no, very much a Roger Moore thing yeah I'm, I'm just i mean yeah there's a spider in in uh dr no but like octopussy took up a large percentage of all these bloody animals and that terrible safari scene um no i don't think you need to have some i mean sharks are sharks are in it quite a lot to be fair i guess with, with sean connery but uh sharks are different though because i think you can film them a lot more cleverly komodo dragon is a lot harder <laughs> yeah so nowadays i think like so i i feel like this whole scene and this whole section is like classic bond that's what it's all about. It's almost like what we saw in Goldeneye with the casino scene. A real effort to kind of ground it to the original films, while also kind of like updating it and making it feel a little bit more modern. And that's exactly what this is to me. So overall, I really enjoy it. Again, the Komodo Dragon stuff, I, I don't really dislike it. I guess I just don't... Maybe I just have like some rose-tinted glasses on at this point. I think it's all right. I think it's a bit of fun. It's quite a short scene. It's yeah. Bond going up against someone who's very clearly like a Bond-style goon. I feel like he looks a little bit like Oddjob with his kind of look. Yeah, um, He doesn't have the hat or anything, but yeah, he looks a little bit like Oddjob, so that's nice, Bond fighting a big goon, and then the gadget coming to help him out, and a goon being dragged away by a like, Komodo dragon. Like That's all pretty entertaining, and yeah, I love that it ends on a quip, and we get the Bond theme, and it's Bond being all cocky. It's like, ah, oh, this is, again, such a real effort to make it feel like classic Bond, which makes sense because he's now shaved, and he's like, this is him kind of being reborn and is, as himself again, which is great. I think the quip isn't very good. It's no. the circle of life, but I don't know what else you could have done here with Komodo dragons. I <laughs> that seems pretty tricky. I wish it was a better quip. And that's something that's been a little bit unfortunate in the Craig era, where it's like, where they've put quips I've liked, it's just the quip themselves have been uh, pretty bad. Apart from when he says, that wasn't very nice in the last film. That was gold. But outside of that, <laughs> they've been a little weak. <laughs> uh, I was racking my head there trying to think of a good quip, but uh, that's tough. Komodo dragon. No need to drag on. No, I don't know. Um, <laughs> one oh, thing I did like as well is oh, that. Maybe. I don't know. I don't hate it. <laughs> Okay, good. One thing I did like as well is that we are seeing uh, more of Eve. Uh, uh, although I have complained, like 
I have complained about Eve a little bit with the dialogue, but I think just I think that that opening shot just really excels, and I really like that they that mingling um, choreograph of them of them together. And yeah, she comes back, and it's a nice a nice little end to the scene together. And I think where these characters go, it's good to have these scenes of them together in the film. Um, it all kind of makes it a little bit more uh, satisfying when it comes to the end of the film. Yes. Really great scene overall. Yeah. So we then cut to a boat on the harbour and we go inside and we see two champagne glasses next to a bottle of champagne. I'm assuming Bollinger. I don't think I checked, but it must be. Oh, it's got to be. Like, you don't even have to check, do you? It's Bollinger. You know. Yeah, probably Bollinger. What did we say? It was always like 10 years behind or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, or something like that. Yeah, it'll be like Bollinger 1999 or something. Hmm. Uh, so we see uh, Severine is waiting. So she's in like a dressing gown or a robe and she's waiting for Bond. And somebody knocks on the door and she looks a little bit eager and he's just like some random guy. <laughs> and he's like, it's time to cast off. So she kind of like, oh, right. And then he leaves and she looks a little bit disappointed. So we then cut to her in the shower and we see a hand kind of appear nearby and someone enters the shower and it's Bond's. So she's naked in the shower showering and Bond goes up behind her and she kind of like shudders, I want to say, a little bit. I think it's meant to be like a sexy shudder, but I don't really know. <laughs> sexy shudder. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. But she reacts a bit oddly. So Bond then whispers in her ear, I like you better without your Beretta. And she replies, I feel naked without it. And then they start kissing in the shower and... I mean, this is so short, I don't mind, but it's just, oh, terrible. Like, oh my God. <laughs> like, who wrote this dialogue? Like, him just creeping into the room and she's shuddering, and then these awful, like, oh, this is horrible. But it's so, it's so short, I don't mind, but it's like, oh, something went wrong here. Yeah, it's, it's almost as if they're like, right, well, we need, we need them to sleep together. Um, and, and so let's just get it in here quick in the shower scene. I don't know. I guess like maybe it's the point is like Bond. I don't know where I'm going with this. It's just bad. Yeah, it's just bad. But again, it's so short. It's fine. I was trying to justify it, but I don't think I can. Something no. about Bond and getting over Vesper and then just back to women. And uh, there's something there. I just can't be bothered to think about it. <laughs> no. And the film doesn't linger on it. Like this is it. Yeah. I think it more goes into like, oh, classic Bond. Bond yeah. sleeping with a woman. And that's all it really is. It's just so strange that it was, I like you better without your Beretta. It's like, good one. It rhymes, kind of. <laughs> it's like a, like a slogan or something, yeah. Yeah, it's, oh, it's terrible. So so we then cut to London again. We're back in London. More aerial shots of London at night, probably raining. And we see M, Tanner and Mallory all in a room watching BBC News. Like, actually BBC News. And they're reporting about how an agent has been executed after five agents have been exposed online. So they're describing what has happened that we saw before with M, where, yes, whoever has stolen the list is now leaking it, so there's, like, footage of someone being executed. And the news reporter is saying how the PM is is giving their support to MI6. So then the news reporter says, but the opposition is saying, and then Mallory turns off the TV and finishes the sentence by saying, we're a bunch of bloody idiots, well, who are fighting a war that we don't understand and can't possibly win. Um, so M, I think, 
kind of pushes back and saying, oh, free agents are already dead. Don't bring her into the particulars, I think she says. I don't know how to spell that word. So what I've written down is very strange, but I think it's particulars. Okay, I can't remember. Yeah, it's not... It's a very strange word I've written. I don't think it exists. Um, so, uh, Malibu explains that the PM, the Prime Minister, has called an inquiry about all this. They always say PM in these films. I wonder if anyone who doesn't really know anything about UK politics knows what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> well, because you have you have M, and then you have PM. Yeah. That's, that's M's boss. Prime M. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm assuming most people do get it, but it is Prime Minister. But they always do that in these films. I don't think they say Prime Minister. It's always PM. Um, but maybe they did say it. I don't know. But anyway, so the Prime Minister has called an inquiry and that M is going to have to appear, of which he kind of like doesn't want to. So Mallory is just like, well, we're a democracy and we're accountable to the people we're trying to defend. You have to appear. And then he says, well, you can't keep hiding in the shadows. There are no more shadows. And M Wrong. says that... Yeah, like, he doesn't get it. He doesn't get what's going on. Um, but whoever is behind this knows us, knows all about us, is one of us, and comes from the same place as Bond, the Shadows. Oh, um, that's why we've been seeing so many silhouettes. Yes. Ah. <laughs> it all comes together, so... I see. Yeah, a, another decent scene there. Like, I say decent. It is really good, but it, it's just very brief. It's more... It's what we've seen before with Mannery and M, M kind of defending herself, but like Mannery making some good points, like we're a democracy, M, what are you doing? You can't just do whatever you want. But M being like, well, actually, there's so much more going on. So it's a more back and forth here, but it's 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 basically to set up that later there's going to be an inquiry uh, of yeah. which M will be there. But yeah, again, some more entertaining back and forth between M and Mannery. Yeah. So we then cut back to the yacht, which does have a name. I think it's called like the Crimera, something like that. Uh, so we cut back to the yacht, but this time it's in the morning. And Bond steps out from the room, like the inside area, and sees uh, Savine standing at the top of the boat. And Bond then walks over, but gets the radio transmitter that Q gave him, the Q radio, if you will, uh, from his pocket and like holds it. And I wasn't too sure if he presses a button. I know he does. but It wasn't too clear to me. But yeah, he does press something on it and then puts it back into his pocket and then bond joins savine at the front and she says it's not too late and a load of goons kind of appear behind them and just stand there with guns and bond says i wouldn't be so sure and then we cut to like aerial shots seeing the yacht heading towards this island that has this like big rundown abandoned i put city but it's probably not big enough to be a city but all these like huge big buildings that are just completely run down and somewhat partially destroyed and like decayed a little bit so lots of shots showing all these different buildings and we then cut to bond and savine in hog ties kind of being escorted through the city with the guys with guns so more shots of all these ruined buildings and savine then starts explaining how the people abandoned it overnight uh the man her employer made them think there was a chemical leak so they all just fled and she says it's amazing what you can do with a computer and the guy wanted the island, so he took it. So Bond asks, does he always get what he wants? She says, more than you know. And at this point, they then kind of get separated. The woman gets kind of taken away, and Bond gets put into a building. And she's all like, I'm sorry, um, as, as she gets taken away. Yeah, I really like this location. 
Um, I was actually unsure if this was even a real place. And it is, which is kind of cool. That's good. Yeah, I just assumed that some of it was just CGI and, and then I don't know, clever clever sets or whatever. But no, like it's it's a really interesting location to be in this completely abandoned, I'll just say city, even though whatever it is. But yeah, like it's a completely abandoned city and it's got that eerie, it's almost like when you see those images of um, Chernobyl, where it's mm. like they just, just dropped everything and left, kind of giving those sort of vibes. But um, yeah. Uh, it's a shame that we don't actually spend that much time in this location because uh, it's like, uh, in terms of it being a villain lair, it's I think it's quite a good one. Yeah, really interesting lair. But as you say, like we've abandoned lairs, like even like I want to say like the Timothy Dalton era <laughs> abandoned lairs, like we haven't done that. Oh, actually, I guess License to Kill kind of had it towards the end, but yeah, lairs is definitely something they're not ready to do. But we do get this quite striking, interesting island here, so that's mm. something. Yeah. So Bond gets taken into a building. And then we cut to Bond being tied down onto a chair in this quite big room. And there's like, on there's nearby there's some tables and there's like a load of computer screens on those tables. And it's like a row, like lots of rows of like servers, like very, but like open servers. So it's like all very like wires and stuff like that. So a ton of rows of this. And we see at the opposite end of the room, which is quite far, a, a lift comes down and then stops and... The doors open and a man comes out and we hear him say, hello, James. And the camera at this point kind of is behind Bond's shoulder. So we're seeing things somewhat from Bond's perspective. And this man is all the way on the other side. So he starts talking. He says, hello, James. Welcome. Do you like the island? And he is slowly walking forward towards both Bond and the camera. But again, the camera kind of stays where it is. There's no cuts during this scene. So as he's walking forward and coming more into focus, he starts explaining, saying, my grandma had an island like this and they visited it once, but it became infested with rats who got onto the island and started eating coconut. And he says, well, how do you get rats off a island? His grandmother showed him. Uh, they, uh, they trapped all the rats using a coconut. And after a month, they had trapped all the rats on the island. And he says, well, do you drown them, burn them? He says, no. He says, you just leave it. So they're all trapped. And eventually the rats get hungry and they start eating each other. And eventually you only have two left. And then he says, what do you do then? He says, you release them into the trees. But now you don't have rats who eat coconut. They instead eat rats. And by this point, he has reached the camera. The camera has moved up a little bit to kind of look up, but he has now reached where Bond is. And he says, the two survivors is what she made us. Um, so this is our introduction to Silver, right? All Silver. And, oh, should we talk about this now? <laughs> so should I keep going? <laughs> no, like, let's talk about this shot. Let's talk about a shot. Just, I, I very quickly just want to say that like this, was it... Uh... Yeah, it was it was it was the last film. It was Quantum of Solace where we were talking about um, green and, and trying to give a creepy story and just it completely failing because it just didn't give any attention to it. And it was kind of half assed in a way, uh, whereas this is how it's done, like, like set it up properly, give it the space, give it the time, give it the the atmosphere it deserves. If you really want to make this villain seem like a threat and a creep and a weirdo. And I mean, it helps that compared to whoever played green we've got javier bardem playing this character silver who is just kind of on another league it feels like um as he as he walks down and just the way that like his accent and the way he says things and his like, little sounds he makes and 
everything is just so captivating how he how he does this little speech about the rats. And one thing that I, I found quite interesting actually, I was actually listening to a podcast with Javier Bardem. I know a podcast. Day. What? I know. I'm sorry. Traitor. Um, it was the Conan O'Brien one. So it's, pretty, <laughs> it's a pretty good one. All right. But he had out. him on, and he was talking about shooting the scene and how they they kept on doing it and kept on doing it, and it just wasn't working in terms of the timing. Because like getting that speech out and finishing just when he reaches Daniel Craig, and like what you actually see in the film is the last attempt when they like, I think it was like hours later they're like let's just try it one more time let's just do it and uh, that was the one that worked and so like, thank God they they tried one last time because it really it really just like it just works it's such a great introduction to a villain mm. and yeah it's another single shot take which I do think these type of takes in cinema as a whole got just overused. Like you had Child of Men that did it, which was awesome. But then you have this film that started doing it and Spectre does it. And I think there was a phase there where like it comes in waves where people just go crazy for this thing. Mm. But I don't really think about it that much in this film because I feel like it is just really purposeful. Like you get to see things from Bond's perspective. You kind of have this visual of him coming forward as the story escalates and you're kind of learning more about this character as you're hearing them talk. But initially you just focus on the speech because you can't really see him. But as the story develops and it gets a bit more creepy and a bit more sinister and it's a bit more weird, that's when you start seeing him. So you start kind of putting those two elements together and it's just like figuring out this character, but like letting the camera stay where it is and just having the actor and him coming towards it do all the hard work. And it just makes it way more satisfying. And I think it works really well because, you know, they are taking the Dr. No approach, which is you don't see him straight away. You just see his actions. And now we're about halfway in this film and now we find again introduction. So it kind of feels like, okay, there's been so much weight put behind the character and who he is that almost like they needed to have something that's a little bit more exaggerated and not quite over the top, but like meaningful, something with real yeah. weight and something that really is distinct you don't necessarily need that for every villain, but for what they were building up here, they needed something like this. And it's just awesome that they really pulled this off. And as yep. you say, Javier is just such a fantastic actor that he is just interesting to listen to even when you can't see him. Like if this was little green walking towards the camera, <laughs> you would just be like, go away, nerd. Get out of here. Um, Turn around, go back up the lift. I don't want to see you. <laughs> yeah, but as someone who is as big as Javier, who can talk the way he does, can sell the story, it's just like, oh, this is just... They knew what they had, and they allowed the film to, like, sell it and to get you to buy in, and it's just so good. And and also, it's not even like the story is just a creepy one. Like, the guy... The, I really, really are bullying Green now, but he deserves it. But, like, oh, I hit her with an iron, or or I got the iron. Like, well, all right, whatever. Um Whereas this one, it, it it has the element of, uh, you know that that's who Bond and and Silver is the 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 two the two rats and there's definitely like that comes back later on and there's an element of, um, yeah the the theme there of these two survivors so it, it's a creepy story but it also works it adds to the adds to the overall story as well yes which is which is so good. Um, so yeah, so he reaches Bond and says, we're the two survivors. This is what she made us. And Bond, this is when we start cutting again. Uh, Bond says, I made my own choices. And uh, Silver is all like, I don't think you quite find out his name yet, uh, but I'm going to call him Silver. He deserves it. Mm. Um, but this is like Silver with an A at the end. So it, I was, anyway, this is Silver. Um, so Silver says like, you think 
she made you think you did, but you didn't. But Bond says, oh, you were stationed in Hong Kong during like the late 80s, early 90s, something like that. And he's all like, that's correct. I, back then I was her favourite. Um, and I'm a much better agent than you were, I think he says. And you're just being held together with your pills and your drink and still clinging it into your f- or still clinging to your faith in that old woman even though all she does is lie to him and bond's like that didn't happen and he just like laughs and it's like well no um so silver asks what did you score in the physical in your tests bond says a 70 he just is like ha 40 and he also says the psychologist didn't clear you for duty so he then goes to his computer and starts taking a look at the test and he's all like uh, physical failed failed and he then gets to the uh, evaluation the psychological psychological evaluation and says that you have an alcohol and substance addiction and has a rejection of authority which is based on unresolved childhood trauma and the psychologist recommended that they suspend bond immediately and he says what is this but not a betrayal if she has sent you to me knowing that you weren't ready and mommy was very bad. Mommy was very bad. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, the man kind of gets very close to Bond, like sitting in front of him and kind of starts unbuttoning Bond's shirt and moves away the shirt to show the gunshot scar on his shoulder. And he's all like, look what she's done to you. And Bond says, well, she never tied me to a chair, which he's like, her loss. Um, so starts touching Bond's chest as well. And, Bond starts being like, are you sure this is about M? And he's like, well, it's about her and it's about you and it's about me because we are the last two rats and we can either eat each other. And he pauses and goes like a, hmm? (laughs) Or we can eat everyone else. And he's still like touching Bond, like touching his neck and his his kind of chest. And while he's doing that, he's asked, what's the regulations to cover this? And he starts rubbing Bond's legs, the top of his legs, and he start, uh, Silver says, first time for everything. And Bond replies by saying, what makes you think this is my first time? Which Silver goes back. He's like, oh, Mr. Bond. Oh. <laughs> Quite enjoyed that line. Um, so he then stands up and he's saying, like, all this physical stuff is so dull. Your Your knees must be killing you. So he starts untying Bond from the chair and... He then is saying, like, ah, oh, the Empire and MI6 and oh. And then he starts talking about, like, oh, about the gadgets and Q branch. And he then talks about how, like, if you went on your own, you could pick your own secret missions like I do. And he kind of goes through some, like, examples of all the different things he's done, which is, like, destabilizing a, a multinational by manipulating stocks. It's like, I can do this all on my computer and do whatever I want. And Bond says, oh, yeah, like a gas explosion in London, for example. And he's like, yep, just point and click. And Bond then says, well, everyone needs a hobby. But Sylvia looks a little bit hurt. A little bit taken back, like, oh. Oh, no need for that. Yeah, that's rude. Uh, And he's (laughs) like, well, Bond, what's yours? And Bond then looks and says, resurrection. And Sylvia then says, I want to show you something. So they get up and then they, they go to walk outside. So... Yeah, this is the first time we've got Bond and the villain talking and just like when he was walking across, Javier is just oh, Javier is just such an enjoyable presence. He goes from, well, he's unsettling throughout, but he goes from like just sinister and quite evil to just having fun. 
Mm. Like he's clearly having a good time, but is also completely mental. <laughs> and Bond is also <laughs> like somewhat enjoying it as well, where he's just like messing with the guy as well. So even though they're talking about all this serious stuff and this guy got some kind of ideas in his head, there's just like a real back and forth between the two and some of it's just quite interesting to think about and some of it is just legit funny like these two are just really interesting to see go back and forth i will say though i think the resurrection line is really lame uh i i was thinking that too when i was watching that i wrote down like resurrection question mark because i know that is a big we've already discussed we said about is going through the to the casino that's almost a resurrection as the bond is back that seems a little bit like well, that's the film, but why would Bond say that, really? I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just a... pure trailer footage. Yeah. Like, it's just yeah. a trailer line, which sucks. And I definitely know this was used a lot in the trailers as well. Like, all of these was like, what's yours? Resurrection. Like, it was very much there. But, yeah, it's purely for that. I wish it ended on something a little bit stronger. But even so, so enjoyable to have these two go back and forth. Yeah. Yeah, I just uh, kind of echoing what what you've already said. Like Javier Bardem is just so so watchable. Can't take his eyes off of him. Um, and yeah, when he starts to get giddy, like in a way, <laughs> I guess giddy is the way to describe it. Like he's, yeah, he's in control. He's in control and he's relishing it. He's loving it. Um, but, you know, having Bond there in front of him. And I mean, it does. This film has lots of different. It brings up lots of different questions. It doesn't answer all of them. It doesn't need to answer all of them, but. You kind of get that that uh, um, start to a question about what if Bond wasn't a good guy, you know? Because he's saying, "You come if you do what I do, you can do this, you can do that, you can do this, whatever." And I think there is very much a um, a visual choice there to have Bond still in the, the 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 tux and Silver is in. I mean, it's not quite white, but for all intents and purposes, it is a a white jacket. It's more cream, but still like. You know, they are very much opposite sides there and and they're both eight well, one's an ex agent, but you know, they're both agents and it's it's like it's it's golden eye stuff, right? It's it's Bond and, and Anik and it's this time it's Bond and Silver and Yeah. I don't think they need to go terribly far with that, but I like that they have these elements in there. I just also think Silver is just really, really fun to watch. And that's that's kind of it's like it would have been such a shame if they had this actor and did it very didn't didn't let him have any fun with the character but i feel like they actually did and they have all the stuff with them but they also have those little moments of what what makes you think this is your first time which is is it, that is kind of a bit um just for the the laughs you know but it it still elevates the scene i think yeah and i think it's quite interesting because i just Silver, like, on paper, or when I think about it, is, like, a very classic Bond villain and does fit in with that. But at the same time, he's so unique. Like, so many of these elements you could kind of point to other ones, but he's not, like, pure psycho like Christopher Walken, although probably Christopher Walken is probably the closest comparison, I would say, out of all of them. Um, But he's not, like, a Goldfinger. He's not, like, a Doctor No. Like, he has some of these elements, but he's not, like, a very calm and... He's clearly intelligent, but he's not really kind of relying on that. He's more kind of having fun, but he's a little bit off and disturbing, but he's not like a pure creep. He's still got this like big physical presence. So it's like, it it does feel like they just came up with like, it's very much a Bond villain, but they still managed to find a new and kind of unique way of 
having that and having that come across with certain elements you could point to other bond villains but i wouldn't say kind of like he is very standout like very kind of unique in his betrayal in the way he's kind of having fun with some of this stuff the way he's kind of quite sinister with this stuff and that's always just fun to see right like we're in an age of all these different villains and we had that kind of thing about the joker like oh that was a dark time for cinema where (laughs) where everything was just the joker was copying the joker but this is just no this is i guess you could draw some parallels to that but no this is just a very unique interesting villain which is just massively elevated by a very talented actor and i just don't think that it's like it's a classic bond villain but also at the same time it doesn't feel like just a carbon copy of a previous villain oh i I, it's funny you mentioned joker though because i know that that is a that is a part of this film that would a lot of people would complain about actually is that he is a lot like the joker uh because this was yeah around the you know the dark knight dark knight rises time and what he eventually does in this film i i'm just reading reviews and stuff about this this film i remember people saying that he is too much like the joker or loki was another one so it's quite interesting you say that i'm not saying you're wrong but i'm saying that there's a lot of people that would disagree with you oh, that's interesting yeah i never saw that connection i just don't no, I don't. I don't see it. Yeah. <laughs> I know I just mentioned the Joker, but that was more of an example of how I don't see it as the Joker. Yeah, which I like. So, all right, if people see that, fair enough. I just don't. I don't see it. I don't think a crazy person like this is like the Joker. I think a lot of people just got real lazy with this stuff. Like the Joker just became that classic crazy villain. So apparently, everything just got related to that. And some of it was people legit trying to copy, but that's that just feels like a bit lazy on yeah that's right i'm saying you're lazy that's right right okay all right well listen to anyone get your rotten tomatoes ready tom's address is <laughs> <laughs> it's in the description for everybody. That's fine. yeah send us send us some um some fan up some fruit <laughs> some rotten fruit but but no i think he's great and i don't think he's like the joker so sorry okay. <laughs> um so we cut to them going outside leaving the building and it's very hot and sunny, so Bond just put some sunglasses on. <laughs> yeah, why not? I don't know if those were the same ones he had when he was in disguise to go and see Patrice, but I kind of, they look quite similar. Yeah, maybe. Like, a man died for this, so I'm going to use them. <laughs> yeah, get my money. So I don't want to kill somebody else. That's a hassle. <laughs> it's the whole thing. Uh, but yeah, he puts his sunglasses on because apparently he kept those. And we hear like some old timey music playing over like an outdoor speaker system. I guess what you'd say, like, 50s is probably where it comes from. Yeah. It might be even older than that, really. It might be. It's like a French song, isn't it? Yeah, it's like this kind of upbeat, like, it sounds like pre-Beatles music, really. Um, So, Sylvia, or Silver, sorry. (laughs) It just, (laughs) okay. Uh, Silver is talking to Bond, and they're walking and talking, and he's saying, oh, they left the island so quickly, they couldn't decide what was important, what to take. So he says, well, that was a reminder for me to only focus on what was essential. And if something is redundant in my life, I it is eliminated. And at this point, Bond sees... Uh, oh, what's her name again? Se- Severine? Severine, yes. And we see her like tied up next to a, a fallen statue. I think it's a statue. Um, and she's got like a little bit of blood on her face. She's kind of tied up. So she's clearly been roughed around a little bit, not in a good way. And... He, uh, Silver, then gets out a, a 50-year-old drink. I can't remember what it is. Is it a sk- oh, whiskey, something like that? I can't remember the name, but yeah, I think it's some whiskey. 
Yeah, he says some some sort of whiskey which is like fifty years old. So he pours himself and Bond a little drink, and gives one to Bond, and they toast. And he says to the woman we love, and Bond just does his shot straight away, <laughs> lad. Um, but Silver walks over to uh, Savine and says, "Like quiet, your lovers are here," and gives her a kiss which she's not really into, but. Yeah, all quite unsettling and he's all like stand up straight and he puts the shot of like liquor on the top of her head and says like stay still and then Silver walks back to Bond because there's a little bit of a distance between where uh, Savine is and where Bond is so he then walks back and he says time to redeem your marksman score and says let's have a little game and he says the first to, to knock the glass off her head wins and a guard, one of the guards then like points a gun right at Bond's head because Bond is like given a pistol, but it's like a very old timey pistol. Um, I'm not too sure what type of gun that is, but it's definitely not like a modern one. It's quite old. And Silver says, well, I'll be very sporting and let you go first. So Bond loads up the pistol and he aims with the right arm, which is still kind of shaking. It still isn't quite right. And Silver kind of says, let's see who uh, ends up on top. And at this point, the music cuts out. And it's all very slow and not much sound. And Silver kind of watches Bond and then gets a little bit annoyed. And he's just like, oh, did the, did you really die that day? Is there anything left of the old 007? And Bond then does fire, but he misses. He shoots just behind the statue. So Silver says, ah, okay, my turn. And then he just shoots to the side without looking and shoots her. And then the shot falls down and he's like, I win. What do, and he asks, what do you say to that? And Bond takes a second and he says, it's a waste of good scotch. <laughs> um, so in that moment, then Bond like attacks the guard and shoots him. And then he starts like grabbing the gun and like very quickly shoots the other guards as well and has a gun and is aiming around to see if anyone's left, but he's killed all of them. Uh, again, very quick. So Bond then points the gun at Silver and Silver is backing away a bit. And he's, he's all like, well, are you going to take me back to her all on your own? And Bond says, who says I'm on my own? And at this point, helicopters appear from above. We get like the guitar from the Bond theme playing and Bond gets out the little radio and he says, it's the latest thing from Q Branch. It's called a radio. So I've heard some things like apparently people are not really happy with how uh, Savine is treated in this film. Uh, Like, I don't want to say like misogyny and stuff, but I think that's what other people are saying. I don't know if that's something you've ever heard. Um, not with this character. Not well. I'm sure that yeah, I'm sure there is, but I, I've not actually come across that. No. Okay, fair enough. I just wanted to address it real quick because, to me, I, I guess I'm not fully qualified to say if it is or isn't. But to me, I always saw like she was just a tragic character. Like, there's yeah. no reason to it. There's no real logic to it. The point of this character is that her story is just extremely tragic, and she just gets a very tragic end. And yes, she gets a she gets used by both Bond and Silver, and maybe it's an idea they don't really go that far with because after this point it does get pushed aside. But yeah, I think the character works because of just how tragic it is, and how she just kind of gets used as something in part of a game. And I don't really think that's misogyny or anything. It's just no, this is just a bad situation. Like this is just the world that they're in, and uh, yeah, she just have a tough time of it, which kind of makes feels a little bit more bleak which I think works quite well with the rest of the film. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's I mean I 
maybe I'm not in a position either, but I don't think that's misogyny. It's just it that is the film. Like uh not I guess by this point in a Bond film, they have tried to give uh some female characters more like, you know, girl power or or more elevate them beyond the typical Bond girl status of being slept over and then killed. And and that is what happens in this film. But I think like that Maybe that maybe it is because of that shower scene, which kind of then does actually fill the template of what they've tried not to do so much in the more modern films. But um, that it is what it is, as you say. It's just that is the character. Like, what's the alternative to keep her alive? And then she actually like goes and you know helps Bond defeat Silver. Like, I don't know. You can't complain about everything like that. That I mean, that's getting into a wider issue now about like yeah. I just leave it there, but I don't. I don't think it's that either. I think it's just that is the character, and that's what happens to her. And it, you know, it's it's bad, but that's the character. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but back to the scene itself, it's it's a really enjoyable one. It's again, it's a competition. I always love a good competition between Bond and Silver, and it's nice that Silver is just really enjoying this and just taking it through. And it's another chance for Bond to try and redeem himself, but we do see he's not quite there, which I do appreciate them like doing that and yes silver is just kind of enjoying this and just having the music just creates such a weird vibe to this it's almost like going into like an old wild west bar where it's just like like having this odd music but there's like it creates that vibe where like with the old west stuff you would have everyone dancing around the old piano and stuff and then someone comes in and it's a shoot down and there's like this tension so it's it's almost like bringing in that type of tension especially because it's like a wasteland that they're all surrounded by so yeah, I love a good competition. I think there's a real good atmosphere to this with this. And yeah, I, I just... Very enjoyable stuff. I might I might be wrong here. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this was my reading of the scene. Is that Bond, as you say, he, he aims and he's got a shaky arm because it's, that's the one he got injured on, on his shoulder. And when he's there trembling with it, Silver says like, oh, did you really die? Is there anything left of the old 007? When... He's just completely getting the wrong end of the stick there. It's Bond Bond isn't doing it in terms of he's worried about the woman. He's worried because he can't aim. Is oh. that right? That's how I read it. It's like he like he's more he's more he would do it basically. I think if he could aim properly, he would have actually tried to shoot off her head, is what I would have thought. Uh yeah. You mean killing her? No, like actually doing what he said. Yeah, that's what I thought. Like I thought the idea is the Apple on top of the person's head that you're trying to hit with an arrow. I'm assuming it's yeah. just that. Yeah. So yeah, I I do really like the twist there. Like, yeah, Bond is trying to save her. Um by kind of once he does and pushes that down with a quip, which is very Bond, very uh that's just how he deals with that sort of stuff. But I do really like that little twist of Silver just being like, well the logical way of knocking off the drink is to just shoot and kill her and does it so casually. Like that's mm that really sets him up and it's just really interesting it's like unexpected but it's just like wow okay that's that's, cool's not the right word but it's definitely what i was thinking (laughs) that's cool yeah yeah um i don't know as for the rest of the scene i think it's all it's all good as i say would i liked more in this setting (sighs) maybe not actually maybe this is enough as 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 far as this this has played out like i do like um silver in this setting but maybe any more of him it wouldn't have worked as well so i don't know i guess they ended at the right time with the helicopters coming in but like this is definitely where the film shifts 
tone quite a lot and, and locations especially for such a long period so I, I i guess what i'm saying is i'm a little bit sad that like the first half of this is over because I, I really like the first half of this film and i love all the different locations we go to and we get in this little little bit with the villain and bond and yeah it's it's all gonna kind of go a different way now so yeah it's been very outside of the stuff about bond kind of coming back all very classic bond yeah it's just a different version which i've said before yeah. i'll say it again I love that stuff. I love the interpretation. I love these takes. And probably the second half is where it does go off in a different direction. I don't think that's bad, but yeah, you're right. And I think that's probably what causes the thing to be different. Everything after this point is not classic Bond anymore. We are going to kind of steer in a different direction a bit. Mm -hmm. After we see Silver getting uh, caught by Bond and the helicopters, we cut back to MI6. We're back in the MI6 wartime bunkers with M and Tanner. Walking through some some corridors, uh, and they're new digs. headed new digs, new digs, and they're headed to go see Silver, who has you know, has been caught and has been seconded off. So they go through to this room where there's this frosted glass, and there's a guard there that has a little card scan, and the glass unfrosts, and you see through it, and you see behind in this big room, this big empty room. The only thing in it is a few guards. I think Bonds in there as well, waiting, and um, this one quite small chamber hexagonal chamber smack bang in the middle the light kind of casting down and there's silver in the middle of it sat down it's a very dramatic i do wonder like when they were designing the blueprints for this bunker like right well we need the big room we need the big room with the hexagonal thing so we can have some nice dramatic shots in there like we've got to have that m needs that she likes to have that power uh but yeah silver's in there and m walks up to him and and they the two the two spot each other and they start talking and you know silver's behind this glass so he's his voice is like slightly uh echoey as well which kind of sets them apart a bit and divides them and, and m um or silver says you know are you surprised uh by by it being him i guess uh and she says no you always were a slippery one um hinting back to like yeah they used to be working together and he says about oh no no remorse he says and she says uh sorry silver says that and, and then replies regret is unprofessional which i swear she said that exact line that was at the end of quantum of wasn't it she says that thing or yeah i think he is exactly yeah i line. think they both yeah bonds like do you regret anything and yeah i think she said regret is unprofessional something like that so she's still standing by that m hasn't changed um and this is where we start then to learn about what actually happened, this history between him and M and, and how he en ends up in this state. So he starts to give a little story about how he was tortured. He was caught and tortured for five months. And during all that time, he protected M. He protected her secrets. He suffered and suffered until he realized that it was M that was the one who betrayed him. M was the one that got him into the situation and starts to talk about uh, the cyanide capsule that all agents would have in, in his molar, at the back of his mouth, in his teeth. And so at one point he decided to bite into it and to crack open the cyanide and it burned his insides, it says. It's just, I mean, I can't match what Javier Bardem says how he says it, but, you know, he's obviously doing this very well and um, burned all of his insides, but he didn't die. He survived. Life clung to him like a disease, he says. And then he realizes why that all happened, why he survived, was to look her in the eyes one last time. Um, 
to which M is obviously very stoic. She's not reacting to any of this. She says that, uh, well, I hope it was worth it and that he'll be transferred to Belmarsh Prison after he's uh, been fit to stand, after he's declared fit to stand custody. And as I think at this point she starts to leave or she goes to leave, but he comes quite close to the glass now and shouts out to um, to say my name, like say my real name. I know you know it. And I think this is where she says, like your name is on the, memor- or the memorial wall of the building you blew up. Um, and again, starts to walk off. I'll never see you again. And just before they get out, he says, like, do you want to know what cyanide, hydroxide or something, whatever cyanide does to you? And he starts to reach into his mouth and he pulls out like a sort of prosthetic denture mold that was in his face. And as he does so, you see uh, all of his teeth are missing or rotted and his the side of his face is all kind of caved in and sunken where it burned it all and his eye is drooping. It's all very grotesque. Um, it does look does look nasty and uh, as he does that he can't speak properly so he's drawling and he says look upon your work mother as he says this quite horrific and they all walk out Tanner Bond and M and you see uh, you see Silver pop it back in his mouth his dentures effectively and um, he just starts laughing he just finds the whole thing very funny and yeah that is I think this is a lot of like the whole Oh, I won't dwell on this because I know your thoughts on it, but I think this is like the whole like Joker stuff as well. A lot of this scene, um, but I mean, I, I don't, I don't really have any kind of strong opinion on that anymore. I think I might have in the past, but I just really, I think this is a really good scene, kind of for the same reasons we just said with him and Bond on the island. Like it's just this time it's him and M, and he's saying stuff just in you know in the same way in that in that engaging way, and you're getting M with it, no reaction, but. Uh, deep down you know there is a reaction and at first I was unsure how I felt about the whole um, face reveal thing because it is kind of like an easy thing to do to be like oh that's gross look at him oh he looks so bad he's so evil nasty but I suppose the point is is like you are you are meant to understand the position that he got himself into and what the the motivation he would have to do all this and get back to CM. So I think with hindsight, it all, it all works. I just remember at first thinking like, oh, that's gross. I don't want to see that. <laughs> Ew. Ew. But no, it's, it's for the better. Yeah, like when I first saw that, I didn't really like it that much either. Not so much for those reasons, but it just felt like so forced. Like, oh, Bond villains have a physical deformity, so this guy mm. does. But, but now I like it. Now I like that they put that stuff in there. But it's just for one scene... And I think the fact that they took all the trouble to build it into the background of this character, which again, you got Javier just doing such a great performance, just explaining these li- this story and going through it and how unsettling and odd it all is, but how interesting and captivating it is at the same time. And then to have it pay off by him taking that out and seeing his face be all messed up, it's like, oh, that's really, that's really cool. I actually really like that now. And I do like the... The whole thing about with M, like, as I said, I think this is M's story. And I think having this kind of direct comparisons to M's past, because this film is all about the past to a certain extent as well, young versus old, but also like the past and the past coming back to, to haunt you in some ways. And this kind of does that. And I think it's really effective at doing that. Like, I feel like having that deformity 
is almost like a very direct way of being like M is looking back at her ugly past. Yeah, and maybe literally. It's, maybe, yeah, yeah maybe it's a bit too literal, but I think it also works being quite on the nose and, and literal and almost having him in this glass box like that. It is almost like a, what would you call it? Like this capsule of M's past that had come back to yeah. haunt her. And it kind of gets you thinking about all the things that M does in her history and the decisions she has to make and the weight of all it all, which we do hear a little bit about this in the very next scene, but it's kind of, great to have this now and to have you thinking about it and it's what makes uh, m story so effective we've already heard silver and bond together and now we've got silver and m together straight away and that's what kind of makes this like triangle that he talked about before how it's about you and me and her and the film seems to agree with the way it's presented yeah yeah i think um like the whole idea of agents being tortured caught and tortured and stuff and um like it's so funny that like in die another day sign i think m says to bond like you had your cyanide pill when he was caught in north North korea and he's like oh i just chucked that thing away but like now we're seeing and that was almost kind of played as like oh you know oh bond what you like sort of thing i chucked that away whereas now you're seeing the actual much darker more real i don't know how realistic that is it probably wouldn't do very good things to your face uh it'll probably just kill you but yeah, like you're seeing the much darker interpretation of actually what would happen if an agent would was caught and there was no no way out for him. So yeah, and it, but it's still doing it in a very um, kind of clean way. I don't know. It's not it's not going beyond the scope of a Bond film in doing so, which I can appreciate. Yeah, although it is quite interesting that we are getting such a direct backstory here, uh, which is might be why people are thinking of comic book villains because of course they have like these backstories like this uh but i feel like i don't really see it like that i see it more as in it's too tied to m this isn't really about silver well it is about silver but it's more about m and how this guy's past ties to that so this isn't like a comic book villain saying and then i went into the cave and there was a load of slugs and the slugs ate me and i'm slug man now uh it's oh man i'd love that that would be cool yeah yeah (laughs) next time uh but this is like the reason why this is here is to tie to M and flesh out her history here. It's because normally with Bond villains, I guess you, unlike comic book villains, you don't get this type of scene normally, but because of the story they're trying to tell, you do get this scene and it works and it makes sense for what we're getting with the theming and M's history and Bond and the connection between Bond, Silver and M. Like we need this scene. Um, so yeah, it is somewhat different to what you get in a Bond film, which is maybe why it stands out to people. But it's also they're trying to tell a different story to Bond uh, films, which is a really good story. So that's what makes this work and also is what makes it necessary. Yeah. So, yeah, once M, Bond and Tanner have left, they're outside walking back through and you can kind of see that M is is kind of shaken by that somewhat um, or at least not herself. Uh, and like she wants to say something. So she turns to Bond um, I guess because she like feel his eyes in the back of her head and and says that his name is Diego Rodriguez. Um, he was a brilliant agent um, back in the day, uh, but he started to hack the Chinese um, but like when he was based in Hong Kong and he kind of went outside of his brief, uh, outside of his, his MI6 duties. So um, the Chinese were onto him and the transfer from Hong Kong, like from Britain to China was approaching. So uh, she traded him 
for six agents and a peaceful transition, she says. So, yeah, it. I don't know if anyone would be doubting by this point. Maybe this guy is just lying or how much is he exaggerating? But no, M really did give him up. Like, that is the position she was put in and she made that decision. So uh, that really is her past coming back to her. Um, and yeah, and then she just quickly says that she wants to know what's on Silver's computer because they've obviously got some of his belongings now. So they want to know what sort of stuff he has on there. Which is like heavily going into, you know, the ties of the film between Bond and M, where this is like introducing a, a former agent who's now a villain and like using that as a comparison to M and Bond's relationship because that's how the film starts. And that's why the film started that way, where M's all like, take the bloody shot. It's the same thing. Yeah. Uh, because that's the difficult choices she has to make and it means the people beneath her get hurt and that's just how this goes and this guy did not take it badly so now her past her sins as he has dubbed them is coming back to her but again this is something that has happened to bond and it does kind of make you think about that relationship a little bit more i don't think it like fully goes into giving you all the answers about this um it does a little bit but it's something to think about it's interesting it's a really interesting parallel to be like what is this relationship between pond and m and like what is that line um, and again I, it doesn't give you answers i don't think it needs to but the fact that it's putting these parallels in here is is quite interesting um especially because of the the more updated nature between judy dench and daniel craig's version of these characters it makes sense that we're kind of taking another look at that for this film yeah yeah a lot of stuff to analyze uh in this film depending on how far you want to go but Probably like the most meaty film, apart from Casino Royale, which was also had a lot of stuff about Bond and Bond's character. But this is this is Bond and M and the relationship between them. And there's a lot to to go through if you wanted to, which I like. You know, it's it's good to have films that you can sit and it is just a, a Hollywood film. You can, you know, munch your popcorn to. But it is also, especially for Bond fans, a film that you can actually dig a bit more into because they're definitely not all like that. Uh, a lot of them are just... Well, I say the majority of them are just a lot more kind of straight faced. What you see is what you get. So it's it's refreshing to have something like this. Yeah, this is what we started getting since GoldenEye, really, as that has been injected. But even just the fact that like M took the second to talk to Bond and be like his and explain it, like even that stuff kind of it, you know has a bigger implication in terms of what their relationship is and mm. draws parallels to when Bond asked M before, like, is there anything you want to tell me? She's like, nope. But now we have like M almost feels like there's an obligation that she has to tell Bond, even though she doesn't. So there is like, yeah, it's nice. It's all these little moments that's being interjected here that you can kind of interpret in terms of how these two interact and who they are. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. And with that, you have reached the end of part two of episode 23 of the Bond Revisited podcast. Join myself and Joe next time where Bond has a ride on the tube. M reads some lovely poetry, a classic car has a cameo, all leading to Bond and M facing it all together at Skyfall. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you for part two. 